Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. to the Elysium Project. I'm Hercules Invictus, and we start off the new year uh, with an optimal wellness show um, that is hosted by the legendary Kak Young. Today, her guests are Dr. Lori Nadell and Marlene Morris, and the topic is tips for starting a happy new year. Greetings and welcome to the Elysium Project. Thank you, Hercules. I'm very happy to be there. Uh, uh, is Lori standing by? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. Well, you'll let me know. Um, I we'll, we might will. Ha- okay. Sounds good. Well, um, we, I wanted, you know, you open your show that we are uh, looking to consider everybody and and make everybody part of our lives and that that's kind of your goal here so i was thinking about that when i was reading a piece by karen greenstreet she had listed the top 10 ways to kickstart the new year and it's a great list if you're employed healthy and maybe not homeless she says add a little spirituality to your life Well, that's great. And then she wants Mm -hmm. to have you look at your physical environment and check and see if there are any papers or things that that are clogging up your desk. She suggests that we tell one person every day that we love them. She suggests we buy a plant. Uh, Find out and really research how much money you need to retire. Spend time with a best friend, and even mm-hmm. buy a new bed pillow. She thinks that would be a good idea. And take a break from television. Uh, check on your blood pressure and uh, make a clean sweep for the new year. And I thought, well, you know, that's great. That's absolutely great for people who 
uh, whose life is on track. But then I got to thinking about the other people, the other people that we need to include, not only in our world, but in our reality. So what do really depressed people do when the new year comes around? What do people with PTSD who have suffered a trauma, what do they do? And what about the person who just received maybe a negative diagnosis from their doctor? How about the person who was given a pink slip in December? So how do they, how do they face the new year? So tonight I have invited Dr. Lori Nadell to join us, and I've also invited Dr. Marlene Morris to do a closing prayer for us. And I wanted to invite Dr. Lori uh, because she's the author of an amazing book, The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes. So Lori herself was a victim of Sandy. She lost her house and darn near her life during the storm. And she's written a book on her personal experience, how she had to remake herself and rise up after her traumatic experience. Now, she is a counselor, she's a therapist, and now she is a specialist in PTSD because that experience made her stronger and more powerful Mm -hmm. from having endured it. So if Lori is on the line, is she there? No, not yet, Kek. Not yet. But I'm here, and I'm I'm fascinated with every word you're uttering. (laughs) So you have to catch the word. (laughs) We The questions then would be, you know, what if life is not great? What do we do then? Mm-hmm. How, do, how do we pick up the pieces? Now, there's so many people out there who have huge catastrophes like Katrina, Sandy, the mass shootings, and, and how do they cope and make sense of it all? You know, I was in the... Uh, the Thomas fire, and every house around me burned down. So it's a very interesting path to walk. I had 30% damage, and I had to repair all of that um, and the backyard and all that. But compared to what other people have been dealing with, and they are still dealing with it on the on the level of just getting permits, on the level of finding contractors, on the level of battling with their insurance companies on the level of finding out if they actually had enough to cover building a new house. So my stress is different. We are surrounded by the, you know, the constant construction, blah, 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 that's going on. But we, I'm less affected, yet I have the noise of it every day. I have the reminder in my ears that it could be worse. Um, The National Center for PTSD put out a statement in October of 2019, and they said that about seven out of every, seven or eight out of every 100 people, and that translates to be about 8% of the population, will have uh, PTSD at some point in their lives. About 8 million people currently have PTSD during a given year. Wow, that is a big number. Yeah, that statistic really blew me away too, Hercules. You know, we all need a course in how to contend with trauma. 
I really would love to see it be taught in schools because, you know, I think I think nutrition ought to be taught. I think how to cope with situations needs to be taught. I think people have to learn to prepare more for disasters because it seems that disasters are happening like popcorn all over the country. And it's just, you know, it's just frightening what's going on. Frightening. You're absolutely correct. Uh, We don't learn in school some very basic things that we need for our survival. Uh, And even if you're blessed with an uneventful uh, life and everything goes smoothly, um, still you will be confronted with situations that are out of the norm. And knowing how to uh, be resilient and knowing how to go outside your box and uh, look at things in your way and make uh, different decisions uh, is a useful skill for everybody and not just those in crisis. Well, it's true, and it also, you know, once you've been through something, you really can understand somebody else's uh, dilemma better, I think. Yeah. Um, I I certainly, people, well, this is, you know, not intended to be comedy, but it's really true. People will say, oh, come on over, we're going to really build a fire, and we're going to sit around and, you know, be real cozy and chat and have a glass of wine, and and I think to myself, uh, you know, sitting by a fire is not what I want. I want to sit by a waterfall. That's where I want to sit. Uh, the whole idea of sitting around a fire and watching it, you know, I used to be fascinated by fire. But now mm-hmm. a, a whole thing happens to me physically when, um, when, when I'm around fire or I see fire. I don't even like to see people burn their outdoor little fire pits and you know, sit around that. It's just like this could get out of hand at any moment. All we need is a strong wind, and we lose the neighborhood again. You know, it's just uh, incredible. I had not uh, thought of that. That uh, I know what you've uh, gone through. I remember um, long distance. Uh, you know, following your uh, misadventures and your adventures uh, during that ordeal. Uh, but I hadn't thought about how that would affect you in terms of like a, a campfire. Um, thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of silly. You kind of think, well, you know, hey, come on, get over it. Um, but you, you don't, and you don't, and you have to be very careful. Um, I think about other people who are still recovering from the trauma. I mean, once you get the physical place fixed, like I was able to do in about three months, once you got the physical place repaired, now you are able to heal emotionally, psychologically a little bit, especially if you feed that, if you feed your injury and you you allow yourself to really come into a place of healing. Um, it is a conscious effort. You do have to nurture yourself, but... The other people around you uh, have not even begun to heal because they're still doing the do. They're still standing in lines waiting for permits. They're still dealing with builders. They're still, you know, busy, busy, busy. Once they move into their houses, then uh, they'll be able to begin the healing process. And it's going to hit them like a ton of bricks because the longer out they are from starting the healing process, uh, the longer it's going to take and the more severe I think it will hit them in the long run. So I always, I always worry about uh, clients that I have. I always tell them after a trauma, 
uh, you know, about 18 months, it's really going to settle home. It's going to make a nest in your heart and your mind. So be prepared for that and be ready to be easy with yourself, careful, and certainly very, very cognizant that other people around you are going through a lot of things. You know, I mean, it's almost embarrassing to be one of the only houses on the street uh, that is standing and everybody else comes up and I'm sure they just want to go, you know, you're so lucky. Uh, So you couldn't possibly even venture to them that you have, that anything is wrong or you've gone through anything. Um, and, And rightly so, you know, but I do know that they will all have things to deal with. Um, I know that. I know that. And it's, uh, you know, uh, it's sad. But it, it's not just the fire. I mean, that really put me in touch with what everybody goes through with the floods, with other disasters. And it's, so it's made me truly a better and stronger human being, and I hope more compassionate as well. Um, so because 8% of the population, 8 million adults, have PTSD in a given year. And then uh, last June... The National Institutes of Health declared that PTSD was a national epidemic. They say 44 million Americans, of whom only 6 million are veterans, now struggle with PTSD symptoms. They have flashbacks, nightmares, anxiety, arousal, which is hypervigilance and exaggerated startle response, um, and avoidance reminders. Now, you know, I can I can address that because every time there is a pop or a firecracker or something like that, those are the sounds of the fire. Those are the sounds that I escaped in seven minutes to. And, the, you know, there was uh, uh, ammunition that people had in their garages going off. And uh, those things, I mean, it really does trigger you. You have to be very careful and aware of where you go and what you're doing. I mean, I do not like fireworks anymore at all because it's just too reminiscent of what that trauma was. And you are wow. in a state of sheer fear. You are it, Now, I, I could probably that, desensitize myself and do all that, but um, I'll just let it take its natural course. You know, uh, sometimes people... Uh, have an avoidance of reminders or phobias against this or that. And, you know, my fear of the fireworks is not to a phobia point. I just can make a choice to avoid it or put earplugs in. But I don't, you know, I don't set myself up to be in dangerous situations because I know what that's like. I know I don't ever want to, you know, always got to be in that situation. In the short time I've known you, you've been through a, a tremendous uh, amount of uh, changes, more so than uh, most people. Uh, Dr. Lori Nadell is uh, with us, uh, so I invited her in. Welcome, Lori. Yeah, uh, thank welcome, you so much Lori. for having me on the show. Hey, happy oh, new year. Where? Thank you and happy new year to you. We've just been talking about um, the statistics from the June. A quote from the National Institutes of Health, and we were uh, talking about uh, this figure representing just people who go for treatment. So we're thinking it's a, a small percentage of the PTSD population because people don't recognize the sy- symptoms, and 95% of the people who go to therapy are women. But that's 44 
million people, 39 million civilians that are walking around with active PTSD. So we're talking tonight about including everybody in the new year, those who have a pretty set life, those who are suffering with PTSD, and and those people who maybe are on the brink of that. So we want to include everybody as we go into this new year. So I'm glad you joined us because how do we cope with this, Lori? How do we manage either our PTSD or the symptoms that we may have? Well, the first thing, you know, is the first defense, especially with PTSD, is information. And um, not just the, you know, kind of standard information um, that's out there, National PTSD Center and PTSD.org, but, um, you know, I, I would look around on like WebMD and, uh, you know, certain established uh, kind of health sites uh, just to, to get a clearer idea of what the actual, you know, signs and symptoms of PTSD are. Um, there are three thresholds of uh, talking about avoidance. Um, the second one is uh, hyperarousal. And that's the feeling that you're going to jump out of your skin when there's a sudden loud noise. Um, or and the third one is um, anxiety, uh, let's see, avoidance, hyperarousal, and flashbacks, a re-experiencing, feeling that you are suddenly reliving the experience, uh, the original experience with a sense of helplessness and horror. Now, there is something called secondary or vicarious PTSD, and we can get that by being exposed to hours and hours of disturbing images about catastrophic events. And I think that since most of us, myself included, spend hours and hours, you know, looking at our screens, at our computers, at our cell phones, that um, we are subliminally taking in, you know, visual impressions of people who have been, um, you know, killed, people who've been maimed, you know, people running out of fires, firemen running into fires, um, you know, women carrying babies out of a tornado zone, murder victims. I mean, we're being fed these images round the clock, 24-7. And even if you swipe it away, you know, quickly, it's still lodged in your subconscious and it creates a very visceral feeling that we're living in a dangerous, unsafe world. And so the symptoms can be very, very subtle. But um, they, I, I think if you notice yourself, um, you know, the, the jumpiness, for example, at sudden loud noises is one of the classic, uh, you know, early warning signs that your nervous system might be responding uh, to, an, to an earlier traumatic event by this feeling of, that, you, that you feel like you're going to jump out of your skin. If you wake up in the morning and you have knots in your stomach and you literally feel like, like, you, like your body is hot-wired, uh, PTSD is very physical. And so pay attention to the signals that your body is giving you because um, it's, it's a very electrical and disturbing kind of physiology. Well, it, uh, if you see somebody who has those symptoms, I mean, let's just, okay, you can recognize them in yourself, and if you see someone who has them, how do you handle that? Do you, uh, do you confront them? Do you invite them? How do you manage that? 
Well, are you talking about, you know, as in a professional setting or a social setting or somebody who might be a close friend? Yeah, let's say let's say close friend. Um, well, I think of a close friend, you know, I I would uh I'd listen and you know, I would probably observe that, you know, when when you're you know, when you when you jumped, you know, when the firecracker went off, um I'm wondering, you know, what 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 might be causing you to jump like that? You know, what I I know that fireworks can be surprising, but um you seem to have an extreme reaction. Does it remind you of something? And, you know, try to kind of lead in by describing or feeding back the person's reaction. Um, if somebody gets flashback, uh, they, they you get this phenomenon. You're like a deer frozen in the headlights because it, you, your body is like an engine that's being flooded with the surge of stress hormones on all of the molecules of, of emotion that were kind of uh, that that crystallized in the moment of impact or the moment of trauma get reactivated and and your body your system is literally flooded with the molecules of what it was like to see and hear and feel that particular event again and it, it's literally inside your body so that you you can't get away from again the feeling of helplessness and horror. Now, can you deal with this in a group setting? Can you look socially for uh, a place where they deal with PTSD as a self-help group, or do you need professional care? Well, I think there are a lot of, um, you know, um, I think there are a lot of uh, groups right now um, that are available to civilians. I know hospitals have them, Um, you know, groups, um, you know, outpatient groups where you can go once a week. Um, I, I think it's, it's not something that lends itself well to, um, kind of group conversations because people who have it can be easily triggered and then that can kind of set off a kind of atomic response in the others. Uh, so unless you, it's a professionally managed group, uh, I would tend to stay away from those kinds of group situations. Um, I think that professional help is always a good idea if, uh, you're experiencing that that level of disturbance Um, and there are many different types of uh, holistic or non-pharmacological approaches as well as um, there's there's mindfulness meditation there's hypnosis as you know there's uh, acupressure tapping it's called emotional freedom technique and um, there are a lot of uh, there are a number of other techniques that uh, that I've developed that I call emotional first aid because they can take the edge off you know they can kind of they they can help you to stabilize and and keep the uh, symptoms from increasing or, or getting exacerbated. But I want to come I back that to that. I want to come back. Okay. I'm sorry, I did to interrupt you. I, I want to come back to that and have you give us some specifics, certainly about the tapping, which is something we can learn, um, and and other um, ideas. But I think let's get, bring everybody into this as well, in case people are thinking, oh, you know, I wasn't in the war, I haven't been in a fire, nothing flooded, I don't have PTSD, and yet you could have symptoms, as you discussed. Uh, from watching too much television, from playing too many video games that have a lot of violence involved. So let's talk about the 10 most stressful life events that everybody goes through. Um, this has been assigned by the Holmes and Rahi schedule, a scale. I think it's Ray or Rahi. How do you pronounce that? 
I, I pronounce it Ray, but um, I don't know. Um, they're Canadian, and I think the scale was developed in the 1940s, late 1940s, early 1950s. So it's been around for a very long time. Well, each each event that they list has been assigned a life change unit score, and then they are added together to uh, predict your risk of illness. And the top ten stressful life events in their life change unit scores are listed this way. Number one is death of a spouse or a child. That's listed at 100 on the scale. So that's your top number. Divorce is 73. Separation and uh, marital split up is 65. If you go to prison, that's 63. It ranks the same as death of a close family member. And then under that is personal injury or an illness. And that's not just a cold. That's probably surgery and and something that is a little bit life-threatening for you. Uh, number seven is marriage. So getting married is a, is a stressor of 50 on their scale. Being fired or dismissed from work is 47. And reconciling or a reconciliation in a marital situation or just a partnership is 45. And retirement, amazingly enough, is 45 on their scale. And we were talking about Christmas. Lori, what does the stress of Christmas show up as for a lot of people? Well, Christmas shows up um, on this on this um, scale of events. Uh, it's next to the last on the list. It's item 42 out of 43, um, life-changing events. And Christmas has uh, 12 points, 12 stress points. And uh, the the lowest one on the scale is minor violation of the law like a traffic ticket or you know something where you um you know it's it's either a big fine or you have to go to court for some reason so that has 11 points but to go back to the top of the of, of the of the life events i have noticed that as natural disasters and disasters of all kind have been increasing over the last five years definitely that um, there really needs to be uh, a couple of categories that have to do with, you know, loss of a home due to fire or natural disaster, um, witnessing a natural disaster or a fire or a flood or an earthquake or witnessing a car accident. I mean, these are all uh, these all these are all categorized as um, not just stressful life events but life events that cause what's called an acute stress reaction, which is actually a separate diagnostic category in the psychiatric manual. Acute stress is, um, is, uh, is identical to post-traumatic stress, only it's, it's, it's how you respond in the first three months, but it has the same physiology and, and the, same, um, the same problems of sleep disturbance and difficulty focusing or irritability or the need to isolate and pull away. So I, I think that that, uh, that list of life events is, is kind of a little out of date as we're seeing an increase in uh, the number and different types of uh, cat- catastrophic events. But, um, well, sure, because I think the also- world has changed since 1940. Right. I mean, it's had, yeah. it has changed. Yeah. So um, That's right. 
yeah, I mean, it was a very stable time. You know, the 1950s, you know, was a relatively stable time. But, they, you know, there's much more upheaval and violence. You know, there's much more violent crime. And it's not really mentioned, you know, on that particular list. But these are, you know, many of these are elements uh, that are much more common in millions of people's lives, especially the the natural disasters that are increasing with greater frequency. Every year, millions of people are subjected to, you know, terrifying losses of their homes, of their possessions, uh, being injured, uh, the developing illnesses as a result of, say, um, trying to clean up after a flood and you get a cut on your finger and it becomes, you know, toxic and infected and you end up in the hospital. I mean, these are, these are very serious events that are not mentioned in the scale. The other thing I think to keep in mind, and I kind of laughed you know, as you read that list because it, it talked about marriage and reconciliation as, as being life-changing events. Well, um, U-stress, which is E-U stress, is like the same prefix as euphoria. And it, in Greek, it stands for good. So there's a difference between U-stress, meaning positive stress, and distress, which is negative stress. Usually when we use the word stress, we, we're referring to distress. But you stress, so suppose you get a promotion and then you have to go to the Bahamas and receive an award and you're going to have to make a speech and you're coming back and getting married in three days, your body is going to be flooded with stress hormones and it's going to be a very, very similar um, sympathetic nervous system reaction to, um, you know, God forbid, witnessing a car accident or um, getting getting stuck in a natural disaster situation. So to the body, stress is the same, whether it's positive or negative. And we've talked about that this stress, this vibrational thing that goes on in your body becomes molecular, and it stays in your body as an atom. Yes, that's right. Um, Candace Pert, Dr. Candace Pert, uh, did a brown groundbreaking uh, research for the Institute of, uh, uh, I think it was National Institutes of Health, and she discovered that there was a direct link between um, certain molecules in the limbic system and the gut the, the, in the stomach, that there really was a mind-body link in which emotions are stored as molecules in the brain, and that those molecules, when they get activated, can cause physical distress symptoms in the GI tract. So that there's an actual neurological, physiological, biochemical link between the mind and the body, and all of our emotions are stored as molecules in the part of the brain that's called the limbic system, also known as the emotional brain. And so those molecules can get reactivated if you have pre-existing stress or you had early childhood trauma you had pre-existing trauma. Um, you know, if you grew up in a family where there was intergenerational trauma, um, Holocaust families, for example, or even in the African-American community, community, they're just starting to recognize the impact of post, intergenerational post-traumatic stress that goes back to an ancestor having been uh, enslaved um, in the South. Um, in the early, you know, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, um, there's a, there's a biological le- legacy of trauma because trauma affects the, our DNA, and it can be transmitted from generation to generation. 
So that adds a whole other layer of complexity. So we don't just inherit um, our father's hair and our mother's nose. We actually inherit their emotional structure and what they went through or the grandparents went through. So we have that in our lives as well. And when those memories, those sense memories get triggered, um, we can have the same reaction that perhaps they did 200 years ago. That's absolutely right. And, of course, as you know from uh, hypnotherapy, very often when we uh, start to uh, invite the subconscious or the unconscious mind to find the source of this particular um, symptom or problem, which, you know, if, if we could identify the source and heal it at the source, would cause the entire problem or issue to resolve itself in the case of, uh, of a, a theme of trauma in somebody's life very often the subconscious mind will go back to an ancestor by which I'm not talking about a spiritual past life in a different era in a different country, but actually through your mother's timeline or your father's lineage could go back, you know, seven generations to something that happened to an ancestor uh, at an earlier time in history that changed the genetic structure and that got passed on that sense memory or that atomic memory got passed on for seven or eight generations. So what if I want to clear myself? What if I want to clear my body, my mind, my soul of all the past and start new? I want to be me, as they say. How do I do that, Lori? I hate to say this because I've been in this field for 30 years, but I don't believe that for most people who have multiple complex trauma and intergenerational trauma, I don't think that it will ever be completely resolved in this lifetime. And I really believe that, you know, a lot of, a lot of what we are experiencing is karmic for us as individuals, for us as a people, for us as a community. Um, and I think that there, there, there's, there's a lot that we can learn collectively and as individuals so can we resolve a lot of it? Uh, we can resolve a lot of it, but the molecules are never going to leave. And the molecules can be reactivated 30, 40, 50 years down the road without any kind of conscious thought whatsoever. And we hear these stories about, for example, there was a woman who had been in Auschwitz. She was walking down the steps of the Metropolitan Museum. This was in the early 1980s. And she saw the back of somebody's head at the bottom of the staircase, and it reminded her of one of the uh, guards at the concentration camp. And she com- she was flooded with stress hormones. She had a total flashback meltdown. She was glued literally to the banister and the steps of the Metropolitan Museum, and the paramedics had to literally pry her fingers off the banister so that they could carry her into an ambulance and help her to get calmed down. So that's how deeply imprinted we are at the biological level and I think at the soul level. And I think that the the, the key word here is really patience and gentleness because I think we can heal, we can resolve, uh, we can certainly, you know, we can certainly resolve a lot of it, but the molecules never go away and it's like a retrovirus. It can get triggered, you know, many years later without our realizing it. So how would you suggest that somebody at least attempt to relieve that so they aren't completely fatalistic, that how can we ease ourselves, how can we ease our burden, how can we begin to heal all of that so we can feel better and deal with life a little more strongly? 
All right, I'm hearing three different questions and what you've just asked. Um, the first thing you're really asking about, I think, is emotional first aid, which is how, how can we release the more acute symptoms so that they're manageable. And that's very, very doable. I, I've worked with uh, first responders. I've worked with teachers at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and with uh, kids uh, whose fathers were killed in, in the September 11th. And emotional first aid for uh, trauma is, uh, you know, it, I wouldn't say it's easy, but there are, there are tools that are quick and available and effective. Um, I think that when you, when you know that you can manage the flare-ups, um, a, lot of, a lot of the symptoms will resolve themselves. Um, I think you use the word all, and um, I, I don't think that you can address all um, because there are many different layers to this. So I think that we can look at how does this affect me in the present? Is it debilitating? Are there certain situations where I need to, say, practice mindfulness or I need an emotional first aid technique? And if I want to look more deeply for the source of this, um, you know, I, can, I, I think hypnotherapy is probably uh, the most effective technique for going back in time or to a previous generation to start healing those, um, the, those kinetic or atomic memories closer to the source. Um, will we ever find all of them in, in this lifetime? Maybe if you start in your 30s and you just, you, know, you just keep going at a steady pace. But I think that for most of us as human beings, you know, we, we all come from human beings who come from human beings who come from human beings and, you know, go back to the, the very first, you know, Neanderthal, uh, we, we've all, we, I, I think the ability to respond to life-threatening situations with extreme surges of, of adrenaline and cortisol are part of our survival makeup. So I don't think that every kind of stress, acute stress reaction is necessarily something that you want to get rid of. I think I think it's useful. It can be useful. It's contextual. There is a list that I uh, have here that talks about how we can uh, uplift ourselves daily. And you discussed meditation. You discussed hypnotherapy. And there are certain um, things that are wonderful about just plain old recreation, getting out, getting out mm -hmm. into nature, um, having social interactions, and getting away from all the work and burdens. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's really important. I think that you know, it's very easy to develop fun deficiency syndrome, as somebody calls it, and, um, and I think it's also important if you've come through a really um, an extreme life situation that, that uh, there's a tendency that people have to isolate. And so I think the more things that you do that are healthy and fun, um, uh, there have been a number of studies done, and uh, Dr. Oliver Sacks wrote an essay that even people who have uh, traumatic brain injury will heal from being in a garden that if you give somebody, you know, who, who even has dementia, if you give that person uh, a packet of seeds, they will instinctively know what to do with those seeds. And so I would say, yes, you know, spend as much time as you can in, in nature, in a garden, take a walk, 
um, you know, spend time with animals. Animals are very healing. And I think that all of those, you know, will produce a sense of well-being and, and will increase your sense of emotional safety, which is, you know, kind of addresses the bigger picture aspect of your question, which is, you know, what, what do we need to do for long-term healing? And, and we need to put ourselves in situations that are uplifting in order to heal over the longer term. Yes, and the second one here, they talk about having social relations and good friends that you can trust and be with and really nurturing those relations because they they feed you and they feed your soul. Oh, absolutely. No, I've, I've spent a lot of time um, in Latin America, and one of the things that, that has always kind of pulled me back there is that in, in, in that culture at, at large, no matter what country you're in, the concept of friendship or amistad is sacred. I mean, it's sacred. If your friend needs something, um, your, your, your best friends, your, your soul friends, um, you do whatever you can to help them. And I've just recently seen this in action uh, with a, um, a, a friend, one of my very oldest friends, uh, daughter-in-law needed help because her sister-in-law uh, was in a life-threatening um, situation after a bicycle accident in Ecuador. And I spoke to a friend of mine who comes from Ecuador, and she started calling people. And this whole network of people just before Christmas just kind of showed up at the hospital and started you know, helping this family, this American family that was kind of stranded in the hospital. And everybody did it for the same reason, for Amistad. I did it because my friend asked me to. It, and, and those kinds of friendships are, are what really I wish we had more. I wish that value was more high, was more sacred in our society because we really need those kinds of friendships and empathy, just a natural outpouring of empathy if we're going to heal as a people as well as as individuals. Yes, and the Irish call it Anamkara, which is the same mm-hmm. thing. It's friends and, and people you can trust that are um, are your soulmates across the way. Uh, on this list, there are also there's also a suggestion that you look to or work towards getting a job promotion, that when you feel that you are appreciated and uplifted in your work situation, that this will be a healing and helpful factor as well. I think that that's an excellent suggestion, and uh, I think it's really important to be respected and valued uh, for the the time and the labor that you put in, no matter what level you're working at. You know, whether you're doing uh, custodial work or you know service work in the hospitality industry, or whether you're in IT. I think it's just so important to be uh, to be valued and rewarded. For, uh, for the time and the effort and the results that you bring in and your commitment to doing good work. I think that's really important. Yes, and I think the last one that they suggest is that you really do take care of yourself in that you get enough sleep. And we, we overlook that in this uh, society, I think. We don't we don't get enough sleep. And I want to just remind people that your book is called The Five Gifts, Discovering Hope, Healing, and Strength When Disaster Strikes. And, Lori, you also do something else. You do a soul collage. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how that helps people? 
Soul collage um, is a, a technique. It's, it's not therapy. It's called art journaling. And um, it's, it's based on the work of Carl Jung. And Jung said that um, sometimes the hands can solve a mystery that the mind has struggled with in vain. And when we, um, when we make a collage on a five-by-eight piece of mat board, um, we can do it on how we're feeling. We can do it on, you know, what does is, what is my soul need? We can do it on, um, you know, what, what animal uh, speaks to me? Um, where do I find support or companionship? What stresses me out? You, you can make a collage in any number of themes, but then it puts you into an altered state, like a hypnotic state. And, and through this gift of the creative trance, we're actually able to, I'm actually able to guide you to speak to your images in your collage. So it's like an active dream work session. And the images in your collage will speak to you and give you insight and, and um, advice and guidance from your inner wisdom. And it's really a, an absolutely life-transforming and magical and fun experience. We've been speaking with Dr. Lori Nadell. Uh, she's a doctor and a specialist in PTSD. Excuse me, PTSD. She's a therapist. She's a renowned um, expert in this field. Lori, how can people get in touch with you? Well, thank you so much. Um, the best way would be to uh, contact me through my website, which is laurienadel.com, um, L-A-U-R-I-E-N-A-D-E-L.com. And you, there's a contact link where you can call or you can, uh, you can uh, email me through the site. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our talk tonight. And I wanted to finish off our session with uh, people and with our audience and certainly with all of us, our little wonderful um, Herculean community in this art of healing uh, universe that we love, create, and support. So I have invited Dr. Marlene Morris to come on the show and close us out with a prayer that prepares us, a little meditation, a little prayer that prepares us for 2020 uh, in a soulful way that will make 2020 matter just a little bit more. Welcome, Dr. Morris. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So how would you like us to end 2019 and begin 2020? What are your thoughts? Well, exactly that. I think that given that, at least according to my calendar and my computer today, it is January 1st of a brand new year. It is 2020, a year and a day that has never been before and will never be again. And so it is time to close out 2019, however it has been. If it has been traumatic, if it has been stressful, it is time to leave as much of that behind as we possibly can and take with us only the good, only the true, only the beautiful, that which uplifts and enlightens and excites and brings love and wonder back into our minds. It is time to let go of what doesn't work and to move toward that which does, and it will if we affirm that and claim that for ourselves. Wow. So, <laughs> hello, Hercules. Hello. Okay, so here we go. 
I'm going to pray in the first person. Not that I pray for myself alone, but that the I that is we responds to truth when it hears it. And in your mind, hear the I of my prayer as your words speaking to your own soul. Your soul that hears and responds to the truth. So I know that this bright and beautiful new year is a blessing. I know that everything that comes my way in this bright and beautiful new year is a blessing, though it may appear to be something else in disguise. But I know that there is a wisdom within me, that wisdom that Dr. Laurie talked about, that recognizes the good in everything, that sees the possibility in everything, that sees the good and praises it, sees through the darkness, the fog, the confusion, the appearance of something other than that, and finds the gift in it. There is a passage from the Bible that says, I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. And too often I think we have a tendency to choose the curse because it is bigger and scarier and gets our attention more rather than seeing through what may appear to be a curse and in fact is a blessing in disguise. And so, as my prayer, I call upon my physical survival mechanisms to help me remember that there is that within me which is wiser and which is greater. I call upon my mental survival instincts to help me remember that there is that within me which is wiser, which is greater. And I call upon my spiritual resources to help me remember that there is that within me which is wiser and greater than any circumstances that may cross my path. And I am in body, mind, and spirit, both healed and continuously healing, because there is that within, about, and around me, which is greater and wiser. And I allow that to guide me. While the atoms of my body cannot help but be affected by situations and circumstances around me, there is still that within me which is greater. While I may have inherited the memories of previous generations, there is still that within me, which is greater. And while there is that which I have experienced that has left its mark on my life, my mind, and my spirit, there is that within me, which is always, always greater. As of this day, I remember that I am involved in life in only good ways, in ways that I can understand, in ways that I can handle, in ways in which I can always see the greater truth, the higher 
truth. And I remember today, as I prepare to move into this bright and beautiful new year, that there is that within me that is greater than any memory, greater than my genetic predispositions, greater than any experience that I have ever endured. Today, I claim my divine right, my holy inheritance. Today, I believe that the spirit of life itself abides within me, and I have perfect memory and perfect mobility and perfect recall. And what I remember is that there is that within me which is always greater. That goes with me into the new year. And nothing else that I choose to leave behind follows because that is greater. And so it is. Well, I'm honored to have had uh, this illustrious group on our show Mm. tonight. Um, Hercules, I thank you. Dr. Lori, once again, I thank you for your excellent and amazing advice. I want to talk again about the five gifts, discovering hope, healing, and strength when disaster strikes. And your website, Dr. Lori Nadell, N-A-D-E-L, where people can contact you to get even in touch with you personally or have a healing session or maybe even bring you and your soul collage program to their home uh, or to their um, community. And I want to thank Marlene Morris, who has a site called RelevantSpirituality.com, where there are healing prayers, healing advice for every situation that you might go to or go through she has books as well. You can find her also on her site, MarleneMorris.com. So everybody is available. Everybody is ready. And I dedicate this show, The Art of Healing, to that indeed, to all types of healing for everybody around the world, anybody who has PTSD, who has stresses, who has an illness, who has something that they need to cope with on the human and the spiritual level. I offer to them these possibilities of achieving that healing in this lifetime and putting an end or an easement to their suffering. And to you, Hercules, I say, amazing work that you do, not only through this online and on-air program, but also in the work you do in your community, your one-to-one help of people, and bringing a lot of people into an awareness that they may not have been had they not been in contact with you. And so I just want to thank everybody who is on my show, who was on the show last year, who will be on the show this year. Hopefully Dr. Lori will come back Hopefully Dr. Marlene will And we can continue in our own way With our own brand With our own inspiration Begin to put those healing vibes out into the world So that people, even unawares Might just uh, pick up something That will help them and in their heart So Hercules, how would you like to wrap up this show? 
wow, I, I think I said it before. This is a powerful uh, and profound uh, experience, and uh, I'm blessed to have uh, participated in it and experienced it. So thank, thanks to all of you um, for uh, um, bringing this uh, into being because it was it was awesome. Well, Thank I'm you. glad. I'm and blessed. Lori, go ahead. I was just saying thank you so much. Um, and thank you, Dr. Marlene and Hercules. And thank you so much for your very generous and gracious uh, invitation. Um, I wish for everybody a year of, uh, that's luminous and magical and uh, filled with, with growth and well-being. Because when we nurture that within ourselves, we can stay balanced no matter what turbulence is going on around us. And these are, um, these are turbulent times. We have a, a lot to learn and we have a lot to give each other. So I, I, I always see it as an opportunity. And it's an opportunity, I think, to get even stronger and to maybe uh, pass on to the generation behind us a different DNA. If we spend time clearing ourselves, working on ourselves, changing our vibration as much as we can and concentrating on that that matters, on the the consciousness of the well-being of the planet and ourselves, if we pass that on through our DNA, then I think each generation beyond us will get happier, healthier, more productive, and maybe closer to our spiritual home, which is to be united with everyone on the right plane. Amen to that. Amen. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we have a couple of minutes left, and I, I want to open the floor to anybody who wants to say anything to, uh, you know, send personal or private wishes if you want, or global wishes, whatever you want. Well, in the okay, spirit well, of the season, peace on earth. Yes, peace on earth, indeed. And may a new chapter uh, open with the new day, the new year, and the new decade that uh, lies uh, before us. Uh, uh, there are endless uh, possibilities, and may we choose wisely which ones we want to uh, bring into being. Yes. Lori, final thought? Uh, find time for fun. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> we, we, we all work really, really hard. <laughs> a little bit of fun goes a long way. Oh, I would boy, like I love that. Before we close, uh, to uh, Dr. Nadell, um, I discovered decades ago the power of uh, collaging, and that is uh, one of the things that I do. Um, and I've always treated them like dream images and gotten a lot of information from them. So uh, when you spoke of this practice, I recognized it right away. Uh, it was just something that uh, developed over time, and uh, it's something that has served me well throughout my life. And, in fact, I just got some new collaging materials uh, uh, recently. That's beautiful. Uh, I, I, it was absolutely, It has been absolutely transformational for me. And, uh, you know, for my own personal journaling and also uh, working with groups and New York City Hospitals Association and uh, with the Parkland community, it is tremendous power to get beneath the level of words so that we can generate our own inner healing. And I just want to say thank you again, everybody, and have a very happy, healthy, adventurous, fun prayerful and exciting new year.
and fun. Thank you very much. And fun. <laughs> and fun. Here's to fun. And fun, um, yes. Thank you. Thank you for fun. making this interview always fun. <laughs> um, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. We are you. going to listen to a quick song, The Pipes of Pan. And then we will launch the Age of Heroes, and we'll be focusing on uh, champions of Arcadia. People are doing everything they can uh, to make the Earth a better place to live for all with a focus on uh, nature. Beautiful. Good night. And, uh, good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you, Lori.
This is Hercules Invictus, and now we start a new regular segment, Age of Heroes, Champions of Arcadia, which is about the people in our communities that have dedicated their time and energy uh, toward nature and the green and the wild and the animals we share the earth with. Uh, This is part of a larger series of shows called The Earth We Share, which will focus on environmental issues. And uh, we have as our special guest, uh, Christine Dowler-Ebron, who is, of course, a champion of Arcadia uh, here in Tenafly. Greetings and welcome, Christine. Hi, thank you very much. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. What is uh, new and exciting for the 2020s uh, uh, in your neck of the woods? We've got three things going on in Tenafly. Okay. The first, uh, I care a lot about personally. We're getting a new dog park, and I've learned a lot about dog parks in the last couple of years. Yay, I'm glad it's finally here. I, I, since I've come to Tenafly, and uh, I've been told uh, by you and others that the conversation go back, goes back years before then, uh, this has been slowly working its way into actuality. So I'm glad that it's uh, um, passed those hurdles and is now coming into being. So please share with us. Uh, first, um, any community looking to have a dog park needs to accommodate all the neighbors, which was the big problem in Tenafly. We don't have a lot of available space, but they finally Uh worked that out. And the next problem was building a dog park. You think there are so many that there would be codes telling you the best ways to do it, but there are no official codes. So Tenafly has started with a two fence enclosures. You want to separate Mm -hmm. the big dogs from the little dogs. And they have put pea gravel, which is a small round stones about a quarter of an inch in diameter, which is supposed to be the best um, surface for dog parks. But other than that, they haven't put anything in yet. So we're going to be looking at the things that the town wants, like water fountains or seats or perhaps a dog washing station. And we'll raise money for the things the town, the dog 
owners want and the ones they don't want, they won't contribute to. So that's how we're, we're going to design our best dog park. And when can we expect to see the dog park? Is uh, that, uh, um, is open and available to those of us who have dogs? It should be around the end of January. They finished the fencing on the two dog parks. Uh, they just have to get the gravel in there. And I'm not sure what the holdup is on that. Usually when they buy the gravel, it also has to be tested to make sure there aren't any dangerous impurities in it, um, you know, asbestos or whatever, before it can be put in. So they get the load, they test it, and then they put it into the dog park. And the so dog park what... will – go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, the dog park will bring people out – uh, to enjoy uh, nature and uh, be out there with their dogs. And uh, uh, so uh, that is encouraging uh, folks to enjoy the outdoors and to become uh, uh, the outdoors, meet their neighbors, meet other people with dogs. And uh, so it, it sounds awesome. And I'm glad that it's finally happening. Well, the, the biggest benefit for, because most people with dogs have to get out and walk their dogs anyway. But the mm -hmm. biggest benefit is it allows the dogs to become socialized. If you don't let your dogs play with other dogs, it's roughly equivalent to solitary confinement. So uh -huh. dogs aren't quite as healthy as they could be. So this gives them a chance to socialize. Um, we have two dogs, as you know, and uh, they share a house and uh, it's taking them months to become <laughs> socialized with each other. They're, they're fine with each other most of the time, uh, but the littlest one, uh, our Chihuahua, uh, charged at the other dog uh, for the past uh, few days, uh, claiming her, her territory, which is with me. I'm her territory. Uh, and uh, so it's a process, and I'm glad that uh, this park will allow dogs to slowly do that. Well, it's funny. I always recommend having a professional dog walker group at parks because a lot of owners aren't familiar with how to act when two dogs are together. There's some natural, mm -hmm. as I understand it, there's some natural dominance games going on, and they just have to work out which dog is dominance. And quite mm -hmm. often the owners will break up the quote-unquote fight which is not really a fight. It's just determining which dog is the stronger dog um, or dominant dog. Um, and if you don't allow that to proceed, the dogs just get confused. Okay. So that might be – sometimes the dog, you're not acting the way the dogs are expecting you to. If you change your schedule and they're used to you being around, so one of them might get very anxious that – their time is being stolen and uh -huh. they blame the other dog. Um, a lot of different things go on, but if you talk to people that deal with a lot of dogs, a lot of the times they can give you more insight. Uh, yes, I, I love learning about uh, dogs, and uh, I've been talking to more dog owners and looking at uh, YouTube videos, uh, as has uh, my wife. We never thought we'd uh, have dogs. Uh, but Zena, who was in uh, our life for eight, nine years, uh, she made such a profound impact on us that uh, after she passed, uh, we knew that we had to, uh, you know, eventually fill that void with uh, other canines. Oh, well, very nice. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are fun to have around. 
And uh, in addition to the dog park, which I intend on covering as part of our uh, Champions of Arcadia, because that is something in our community that I consider very important, and I'm glad that it's uh, there. Uh, And you're also involved in an even bigger project, uh, the Northern Valley uh, Greenway, which will be uniting several boroughs and creating uh, greenery and a a safe uh, space uh, for people to uh, enjoy the outdoors, enjoy each other, socialize to get from place to place. So um, can you give us an update on the Northern Valley Greenway project? Yes, it's a rails to trails project. We have an unused rail line going from Tenafly to North Valen, New Jersey. That's much wider than normal. It's, it's 60 feet wide. Quite often these corridors are only 30 feet wide. And we've spent the last couple of years having it studied by New Jersey Department of Transportation. They determined that we had a good idea, that there were no flaws in the plan that would stop it. They mapped out a roadmap of permits that we needed, permissions, um, various steps that we had to take. Mm-hmm. And they, so we, we finished that study in August. We then turned our attention to making sure we were in the Bergen County Master Plan. If you're going to add any park to a city, county, or state, the first thing that people ask is, well, is it in the master plan? Because they they try and allocate resources in some kind of planned manner, strategic manner. And mm-hmm. if they're not considered in the master plan, they just say, this is an idea out of left field. Don't bother us. So we had been mentioned in the master plan that had been, they started development of it about three years ago. This is Bergen County. The freeholders asked for a master plan for their parks. Mm -hmm. Um, And they came up with ideas. They wanted to have our our parks are basically along the rivers and waterways. They were the, where people settled historically when Bergen County was first settled. And that's where they formed their parks. In addition, those are the areas that keep flooding. So, turning some homes and industrial and shopping areas that are continually being flooded into parks um, so we stop having places destroyed makes a lot of sense. Mm So they did other things. They look like the golf courses in Bergen County, which we have apparently a lot of them, which allows Uh a much larger percentage of our population to play golf than is true in other areas of the state and country, which I thought was kind of interesting to find out from this Bergen plan. But at any rate, when they started three years ago, they knew we knew about the Northern Valley Greenway, but they said it was aspirational. They didn't think it would move so fast. And they now mm-hmm. say that we are so close to being realized that we have to be mentioned in the specifically in the plan, which they did do. They added us in. They they had a, a revision or a a dra- final draft presented. I think it was in September for comment, and people commented, says, "Where's the Northern Valley Greenway?" And they said, "Oh, you're right." And they put it in. It was really very gratifying. But the entire uh, plan. I was extremely impressed uh, by that fact and also by the presentations. And I attended as many as I could. 
um, to show my support of uh, this project. And uh, each one of them was uh, phenomenally amazing and different. Uh, and uh, just watching this uh, unfold was an amazing experience. And I learned a lot just from the process. Well, the thing that I, I mean, it was very gratifying that they mentioned the Northern Valley Greenway, but to me, the the care and thought that they put into how they could make parks in our county accessible to everyone, uh, they found out things that, like, we we have an enormous number of parks compared to other areas, and yet people didn't know where they were. When they did find them, they were extremely pleased. They loved the events. They loved the facilities, but they didn't know they were there. So they're now going to embark on a signage um, uh, drive to make all the parks uh, have a consistent signage. So when you look at it, you know that it's a free county park. Um, They're going to work with the golf courses to take the unused parts of lands that aren't actually used for the free for the fairways and do things like turn them into butterfly corridors or pollinator oh, corridors. Um, they really have a very, very well thought out um, plan. The thing that we brought to it or is being added to it is the recognition that Parks can be corridors between economic zones. In the rail-to-trail case, the railroads go generally through the centers of downtown, and we expect it to be an economic driver for the small downtowns. So they acknowledged and added that as an aspect to the plan, which is really nice. And I remember when you had uh, speakers showing how – uh, this actually raises uh, property values and uh, um, it brings uh, much needed uh, funds into the community having a greenway. So not only does it help the green, uh, but uh, it also helps the community in a very tangible way. Well, I was amazed to find out that properties adjacent to a, a linear park where you take you go from being next to an abandoned railway, being next to a vibrant park can increase mm-hmm. 25% in that property value. Wow. And it that if that has an impact up to I think it was a half a mile away. It drops down for I I forget now exactly like every tenth of a mile it drops down from 10% of the 25% so like 2.5%. But it's um Pretty amazing how much it increases values. Yeah, it is very amazing. And uh, last time you had spoken about uh, how people aren't aware of uh, the parks, and I was certainly guilty of not knowing about all of the parks, but I remedied that. And I decided to uh, uh, share information, uh, doing one park a week and starting with uh, Tenafly before branching out into um, you know, other local uh, uh, boroughs around us and uh, focusing on the Greenway project, which will unite them all. And uh, thank you for posting a picture of uh, Roosevelt uh, Commons. It was much uh, more beautiful than the one that I had found and posted. Well, that was that was the picture from the Tenafly Welcome Book that we put together okay. in about 2003, 2005. So that, yeah, that picture is, uh, was... Uh, go ahead. 
that picture was either I either took it then or we had it somebody's applied it then. So that wasn't in some manicured glory days. <laughs> and high goose days. <laughs> Yes, uh, we we spoke about that, and uh, uh, I wish that the park uh, had been re- has will be at some point restored to how I remember it because it's it's uh, it's still a very beautiful place, and uh, um, the monument uh, to Roosevelt is one that uh, I visit quite often. And in fact, when I uh, bless the town, I do it in front of the Roosevelt uh, monument. I'm starting that practice uh, again this year. Um, so it's a beautiful park, but it used to be a very uh, a friendlier park. And uh, I remember when I was a teenager hanging out there a lot. And then when uh, my uh, first uh, son was born, bringing him there when we visited his uh, uh, grandparents uh, and uh, a lot of really good memories uh, and uh, great times uh, with the park the way it was. You didn't notice a problem with the goose droppings? Well, I, the goose droppings were a minus, but uh, compared uh, comparing the minus with all the pluses, uh, um, it never bothered me all that much. And the the goose 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 can be very aggressive. These I, I've never had a problem with the geese. Uh, uh, in uh, Roosevelt Commons. But anyway, um, onward, uh, you are aware, of course, that uh, uh, Tenafly, like many communities here in New Jersey, is trying to uh, minimize the use of plastic bags. And you had had some information to share on that as well. Well, I have a slightly different view of the bags from the grocery store. Okay. They're frequently presented as one-use bags. In reality, for a good section of the population, and I'd like to suggest that everyone um, consider making them non-one-use bags. Um, they're very useful for things like lining your your trash cans, yes. um, for diapers, for um, sanitary waste from older people, mm-hmm. um, and those needs are still there, and for dog poop, obviously. If yes. even if you're not um, reusing your shopping bags, so people are going to go out and have to buy replacement bags. And usually, when you buy a bag, they're much thicker than the the grocery store bags. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end. And I can tell you that aids that my that help my mother tend to use full size trash bags for just a couple items, um, or for lining the small trash cans when they don't think to look for the plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And the plastic waste goes up enormously. I would say that we use three or four times as many. Um, large, thick plastic bags as we do um, you know, the plastic in a grocery store bag. I agree with you so, uh, because we don't use them only once uh, either. We keep them. Uh, uh, in every room, there's a bag of bags hanging usually on a chair or inside a closet doorknob or something. And we use them all the time uh, for many of the uh, reasons that you already listed. Uh, 
Um, and uh, so uh, we certainly use, uh, with two dogs, we use uh, a lot of bags, in fact. So um, they stopped taking the recyclables in plastic bags. Uh, and, uh, well, that, they, they never were supposed to take that, but they kind uh-huh. of ignored it. And China wasn't – those plastic bags get caught in the um, spikes that separate the garbage. And then they jam up the whole machine, and you've got to stop the whole processing line. So they're just since we're now going to a trash pickup that's going to be done without um, the trash men inspecting the trash before they take it and mm-hmm. rejecting trash that has in plastic bags and has other things in it, they're becoming much, much stricter now in hopes of educating everyone before we start gathering trash without it having it be inspected. Because if it goes to China with the wrong trash in it, the entire ship, the entire container ship will be turned around and sent back, which is fabulously expensive. Yeah. Uh, both Mayor-elect uh, Zina and uh, Councilman Grossman have uh, talked a great deal about uh, um, you know, changes in the recycling and uh, uh, why uh, we're no longer picking up uh, leaves and branches and things like that. So it's, it's fascinating um, watching the changes as our awareness expands. Um, and again, they're going to be bumping the roads. And with the plastic bags, I, I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, and that's not something that comes up in any of the conversations. No, it's, it's not a... People take talking points that are supplied to them, and they don't always haven't gone through the analysis themselves. And quite often, some of this analysis is supplied by plastic bag sellers. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to be a little conscious about where the information is coming from. Um, But the other thing is, if you have trash plastic bags for some reason, and you don't use them for all these other secondary uses, you can actually, they actually degrade very well in sunlight. Of course, most landfills are not in sunlight. They put the trash right. in the landfill and they, they're supposed to cover up the trash with four inches of dirt at the end of each day. That rarely happens, but nevertheless, trash does get fairly quickly buried um, under, under other trash or eventually under dirt. So it doesn't degrade. What you can do is just have a little enclosed area in your garden with some clotheslines on it and clip your bags to the clothesline for two weeks and then throw it away. Hmm. In a little enclosed trash area that you don't have to annoy your neighbors, um, make it visible, but you do need to have the air and the sun hitting it. Um, and that will do an awful lot towards making plastic bags degradable. Do you have any I links mean, also to that information or uh, anywhere where I can look into that further? Because that, that sounds like an awesome idea. Um, I have to admit that I used to design resource recovery plants. Um, okay. This was like 20, 25 years ago, and it was known then. So I don't really know a link, but I haven't looked either. So I would imagine... If you look on, um, even, even people who are saying bags are not degradable in landfills, 
mention the fact that they need air and they don't get air in and sunlight in landfills. Well, you've given me a quest. I will seek it and I will share the information on uh, uh, Facebook and thank you. And uh, our time is up already. There's never enough time, Christine. Oh my You're goodness. an awesome individual. <laughs> and, uh, okay, well, uh, thank you very much. And thank you very much. And I'm going to be giving out uh, um, Champions of Arcadia Awards. And uh, you're definitely on that list because you have done so much, uh, you know, for uh, for the green that uh, um, I can't thank you enough. So uh, happy new year. Uh, have an awesome 2020. And I look forward to seeing you and talking to you soon. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Antlered Crown and Standing Stone, another song about the green, and then we'll be back with the Atlantis Project.
This is Hercules Invictus, and our next segment is Age of Heroes, the Atlantis Project. And this is going to be an ongoing initiative. We have a Facebook group. We have around 440 people there, uh, and we have lots of people emerging uh, who care about our world's waters and want to take massive action uh, to make things better. One of those champions of Atlantis is Nick Curdo. And I am greatly honored to have Nick Curto with us tonight to talk about Project Lemonade. Greetings and welcome, Nick. How are you? Well, thank you very much, Hercules, for your your really wonderful and warm greeting. Uh, it's always truly a pleasure for me to be with thank you, you. Uh, on on this on the podcast. Always, and uh, I look forward uh, to talking about uh, a project that I'm very much um, excited about. Truly. It's called Project Lemonade, and uh, if I may, let me tell the listeners why it's named sure. that. Uh, because the old saying is that when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, <laughs> which is saying <laughs> that you can make something really good out of something that may be, uh, at the beginning, quite sour. Well, there's a couple of issues going on right now uh, on this planet that are really uh, of, of great concern. I think that everyone does feel that the these two issues, and I'm going to name them both, uh, okay. are going to get much worse, much, much worse as time goes on. And something has got to be done. And so far, very little has been done. And what I'm referring to is, one, the worldwide homeless uh uh, epidemic that's going on in all the, the countries uh, of the world. Uh, the United States is, is no exception to that. Uh, we have no. our major cities, including New York City, uh, where I live, uh, San Francisco, um, uh, also uh, Los Angeles, and uh, Las Vegas, and, and, and also uh, 
Chicago is another one. Now, these are major, major cities, and they are uh, stifling because of the, uh, the growing problem of homelessness is, is, is just getting to the point of uh, no return. Now, that is one issue. The other issue is what we're doing uh, and have been for quite some time to our beloved planet, our planet Earth. Uh, this is our home. And it's yes. a fragile, beautiful place. And what we've done to it is, uh, since we decided to go full steam on plastics, plastic bags, plastic, and you name it, it's, it's plastics. And when we discard them, they're being thrown in the oceans of the world, and they're being buried. Uh, well, this is a huge problem. Uh, there are divers who say that they're on remote islands, and when they go underneath the water, they're seeing mountains, not just a few items, mountains of, of plastic garbage. And uh, yeah. it, it's really become such a situation now that you can't deny that this is going on. Now, why would these two things uh, come together? Well, um, because you have to have shelters, easy to build, economically sound shelters for the homeless. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, also, you, you have to have a, a way of dealing with this plastic situation. How in the world are we going to take mountains, and, and literally mountains of plastic, and do something with them that's constructive? Okay, here's, here's the point. Um, I've okay. been following what's going on with the uh, 3D printing. Now, to a lot of people, including myself, uh, as late as last year, I thought that 3D printing was to make purely small tools, which, which of course, they do. Small tools and, and other uh, vases and uh, art pieces, and it's gotten so far as uh, designers designing clothing that is 3D printed. Well, okay. Yeah, I, I took Right, and I took that to the next level and said, well, how big uh, how, can, they, can they 3D print? Well, it turns out, to my utter amazement, that there are places now in the world that are printing small homes, homes made out yeah. of uh, plastics. And these are uh, viable, uh, uh, very, very nice little homes. They're, now, they're not lavish, of course. They're very simple. But they are waterproof. They, they can hold heat. And people can live in them comfortably. And this is starting to take hold now, and there's a few places you can go on the Internet, look up 3D-printed homes, and you'll see there uh, it's just beginning to emerge. Now, these homes, the, the materials that they're using right now uh, are, are forms of cement, and sometimes mm -hmm. they mix other things in with them, you know, including, including it could be plastics if they were cleaned, and then put into the mix. And we have mountains of this material waiting to be used. Okay? Now, how, how uh, much time does it take to print a house? How about a day? Uh, that's actually true. They can make it's these amazing. 3D. Isn't it? And, and, and with, if you had 10 machines, you literally could make an entire street in a day. Yes. Think of that. And these are places that people could move in. Now, these have to have simple 
uh, furniture that also is will hold up uh, very well. Well, you can make chairs and tables. Uh, you can make uh, shelves and other things out of plastics. That's been going on for quite some time, and it's very feasible and really very low cost. Well, add that all up, and you're having an answer here for the crisis of the plastics uh, in the world and the crises of the of the homeless and, and housing, you can marry those two and you can come up with a, a system of designs. And that's, that's one thing I'm thinking about right now. I started working on that, of what it would be like to have a community for homeless that would have the, the plastic and cement homes. And then what else would you need to make it viable? So this mm-hmm. is an exciting project. What do oh, you think definitely. about this? It's, yeah, it's the, exciting because it's it's new. It's it's new and it could be done. And it is doable because, uh, as you say, there's uh, there's uh, information and uh, videos and uh, images that's emerging on the uh, internet, and uh, people are invi- uh, inventing things that will scoop the plastics out of the water. Uh, ways of uh, cleaning the plastics and breaking them down and using them for 3D printing. And then there's uh, uh, the homes that they're printing and uh, they look great, these little homes. And uh, uh, it's a great uh, alternative to being homeless and it would solve two major world problems uh, at one swipe. So that, that is awesome, Nick. Uh, That is awesome that you came up with that. You know, there was a a few years ago, I was uh, going to Fire Island for the weekend because a couple of friends had a home there and they had invited me. And I was going there, uh, getting the last boat to Fire Island. And what happened was, since it was a holiday, the last boat was canceled. So when I got to the dock, there was no boat. It was dark and a little on the cool side. And there, there was no boat. And Someone said, oh, the boats won't be here till 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, there was no way to get back to New York City. I was alone uh, with, with just uh, an overnight bag, and there was only a couple of benches on the dock, and there was nobody around. There were no, there were no uh, places to eat. There was no place else to go. Uh, and there I was. So I thought, you know what, make, make the best of it. So... I, I sat on the bench, and eventually I fell asleep. And about 2 or 3 a.m., there was a light in my face, and it was a policeman with a, with a flashlight. And he said, sir, are you okay? And I said, oh, yes. And then I told him what had happened, and he said, well, okay, there will be a boat in the morning, and, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, sleep, and uh, what else can you do? And I'm only bringing that up to say, and this is just a brief few hours of an experience where I didn't have a home, I didn't have a place to go that night, and, uh-huh. and it was a very rough deal. Just, just, and this is nothing compared to a, a, a person or even a family who's homeless. And my heart yeah. goes out to them because you know I kind of learned firsthand uh, what it was like, and I only did this for a night. Can you imagine weeks or years when you don't have a home? Wow. You know, what, what, what in the world? I mean, how do they survive? How do they even begin to, to, to make each day 
uh, count and not get into trouble and to try to live life. Uh, so my heart goes out to them. It was a very, it was it was one of those experiences though that taught me a lesson, and that was you never take things for granted, including no, you your own home. You never take it for granted. Uh, these are blessings, and those blessings can be taken away. So, uh, again, you know, I saw a film recently on the Internet, and there was uh, a city that, that gave, uh, or rather loaned, homeless people tents. And these little tents were set up, and there were, uh, there were many, many of them, very close together, but it rained, and the water came into the tents, and you could see the mud in the water, and the people were just, you know, they couldn't fight it. They were just trying to tread water, and it was going into their blankets and into their uh-huh. air mattresses. And I thought, my heart goes out again to that. That's a real deal situation. Well, these poor people are trying just to get by hour by hour, day after day. And and, and that's not right. You know, we, we have our country and the other countries are rich enough to to, to make a yeah. difference, a huge difference for the, the homeless, and we need to start doing this. So this is the answer in that these little homes would be very inexpensive. Uh, some of some of these printed homes can go up like like a thousand fifteen hundred dollars. Now that is incredible, and that would be a place for people to to sleep. And the other consideration would be. The, the land, where would they be, and what else would you have in the area? Would, would you have a facility for, for uh, food and also for, for washing, like, a, like a, a bathroom facility? Would they be probably not in the homes, but in a, a center of these little homes? Because that's the way you can keep the cost down. So you know, there's a lot of thinking going on here, you know, about, how to do this, and what it would look like. Um, we're, we're going to be developing a website. We're going to put all this on the website, and that's going to be probably maybe February or March of, the new, of this new year. So that's wow. what we're going to be loading into the Internet. And when that happens, of course, I will let you and our listeners know about it. Definitely. I, I want you to... Uh, keep coming back to the Atlantis project and talking about Project Lemonade, uh, and this so we can get updates. And when the uh, website's up, we'll definitely include it in the uh, Atlantis project group and uh, on my timeline, and we'll refer uh, back to it because uh, that is a grand uh, vision that you had, and uh, you're taking steps to make it into reality. So that is awesome. And it would indeed uh, solve many problems. Uh, you're right. We are responsible uh, for each other as well as the planet we all share. And, and, and the technology is now here. It wasn't here yeah. three, five, eight years ago. It's here right now. So we've got to uh, embrace it, embrace it because it's here and it's time. It's high time we do this. And, and that's what's going on. I'm going to try to get a few people to uh, help me as volunteers to get some funding for more research on this. That's the next step. And uh, we're going to be writing a proposal on this. Uh, I'm going to talk to the people at the Disclosure Network New York meetings and see if some of those people will volunteer uh, to help me on this project. And also any well, listeners awesome. who would, would be motivated, um, I'm going to give them, if I may, my, uh, my email address. Okay. 
Of course you may. Uh, okay, which is uh, Nick, N-Y-N-Y-1, at gmail.com. I'm going to repeat that. N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the number one, that's the figure one, at gmail.com. And if you're interested or want to know more information, please contact me. I would be more than happy to answer any and all questions, and I would love to have your ideas, of course. If you write something up for me, Nick, uh, I can put it in the uh, um, the Atlantis Project group. There's like 440 people already in that. Um, so uh, uh, you know what? There's something already written, but I will I will email to you tonight. I do have something written up already. It's going to be for I'll the website. It. So yeah. I'll put it up tonight then. <laughs> so any contact information you want to share there, just send it to me in the email, and I'll post it in the group and on my timeline uh, uh, tonight. And then I'll keep reposting it uh, on a schedule. And this way, uh, you know, it, it'll be, uh, you know, people will be reminded about it. And there may be some people out there that have had some experience in trying to raise uh, funds for projects. And that's the kind of information that's not my, uh, my, my forte. It's not something I know a lot about. But if we can get some volunteers that do know more about that subject, uh, we, we would certainly embrace that. Now, that's one of the next steps. Uh, also, I've been trying to get a hold of uh, different companies uh, that uh, know more about plastics and cement to find out what the, what the formula would, the right formula would be to make these uh, inexpensive, simple homes of uh, 3D printing. And that's another part of what I'm looking for right now. If there's any engineers out there or, or architectural students that want to help on that area, we certainly need that information. So, again, please give me a call. Let me know who you are and uh, what your interests are so we can, you know, we can work together as a team. That's awesome. I'll definitely help spread the word. That's a very worthy uh, cause. Thank, thank you, Hercules. And I just got to say before we go that, what, what you're doing, the, the amount of structure that you have developed and that you're, you're, you're putting some amazing uh, effort into your projects uh, to make them successful, and some of them already are successful, and uh, I'm just thrilled to be part of, of your, your vision. And I just want to tell you that I admire your work very much. Uh, if we had more uh, men and women with, with your uh, power and initiative and uh, a sense of what is right uh, in our in our system of uh, government, we'd be a lot better off than we are right now, that's for sure. Well, thank you for your kind words. I'm very fortunate to know uh, very many awesome people like yourself, and uh, um, we work together to try to make uh, things happen. I'm a firm believer, Nick, that if everybody just did what they could, even if it's being nicer to your neighbors and your family, <laughs> then cumulatively that would have a transformational uh, effect on the, the world. So um, I always ask myself, based on who I am and what I know and uh, what I think and what resources I have at, at hand, even if it doesn't seem like enough, what small thing can I do today? And uh, uh, I, I've been overwhelmed by the 
wonderful people I've met on this journey and how everybody uh, is trying to make the world a better place for everybody. So uh, I'm very blessed. Uh, I feel the same way. Uh, It's been an incredible experience. Uh, When we started the Disclosure Network New York uh, 18 years ago, uh, and the dream was to connect people uh, with like minds on uh, what is going out uh, in the universe. Uh, Are we alone? Uh, We've come to the conclusion we certainly are not. And then what does that involve? What are the dynamics of that? And also, uh, what other connections do we have that might be in the realm of the paranormal. And we started deep research. And as you know, we've got some of the most incredible research people, not only in New York City, but around the world that that have said, hello, here we are, let's talk. And we have had amazing connections uh, in in London, in in Hawaii, uh, in the West Coast, in, in uh, Colorado, these people have come forth and tuned in and have all given us amazing information. And, again, that journey, it, it's just been uh, so rewarding on so many yes. levels. And uh, what, what an honor it is to know these people and to connect. Now, you're a great connector of people. I do the same thing. I feel yes, as though that's part of what, you know, what my <laughs> what my calling is, is to connect people for common good. That's what my dad was the same way. He did that a lot and uh, in his, in his work. And so here we go. You know, it's uh, the um, project lemonade, I think has a big future and we just need to do all we can to develop it, develop ideas and to approach companies and and try to get some funding and, and make this work. So there's no time like today. Uh, If you send me that stuff, I'll post it. I'll keep reposting it, and we'll keep talking about it, and uh, people will come because it's a grand uh, vision. Well, thank you. Again, I'm really excited about it. I think that it's got a huge potential. And when, when this is successful, can you imagine the feeling of seeing people in little homes, safe and warm? or families that wouldn't have that if we didn't do something now? I mean, is that a reward or not? And we need to work together for for that goal. Um, I was telling uh, Christine Evron that uh, I'm going to be giving out awards uh, on behalf of Mount Olympus in the very near future. So I just want to let you know that you are on that short list of people who will be getting awards uh, in recognition of all the things uh, that you do. Whoa, oh, oh, brother, you just made my day, day one of 2020, and you tell me that? You certainly deserve it. You've dedicated your life uh, to helping others, so uh, that should be acknowledged and recognized, because uh, I wish more people would do it. No, there's a lot of potential that's out there, and and people need to know that they can make a difference, and we are connected, we're all uh, by the way, speaking of that, if we uh, one more minute, I know we're going to be going soon, is that this coming Sunday for the Disclosure Network New York sure. meeting, we're going to start it off with a CE5. Uh, some of the people, the members of the group and myself, developed a meditation. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's about uh, maybe uh, 10 lines long, and different people 
to take part in reading it. We're going to do a two minutes of silence. We have a, a little piece of music we're going to have. And the whole purpose of it is to say that in love and peace and gratitude, we are welcoming extraterrestrials from our group to, to our group uh, if they are out there. And we're going to be doing this inside. And a few people said, shouldn't we be outside for this? Well, we all know that we're all connected, and you don't need to be inside or outside for that uh, dynamic to take place. So as a group, we're going to ask for a peaceful, loving uh, uh, meditation for contact, and we're going to be doing that this coming Sunday. If they want to know more about this meeting, uh, I want to give them the website, which is dnny.info, and that stands for Disclosure Network New York. So then just simply dnny.info. That will get you the website. It will get you all the details and how to RSVP if you want to come to this meeting, which is this coming Sunday, January 5th at 2 o'clock in the West Village. And um, it's going to be quite a meeting. Uh, we're going to have an amazing speaker, Francine Vale. Uh, Francine wow. is a, 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 she is, how can I even explain it? If there was an angel on this planet walking around New York City, it's Francine. Uh, she comes into a room and the room changes with love. And I'm not kidding. She's like that. And she's going to be giving an amazing uh, 90 minute talk. Most of it's going to be, I think, a, a half an hour lecture and then a QA uh, for people to better their lives. And uh, I'm very excited about this. Uh, Francine is a loving, wonderful, wonderful woman. She's written a couple of books that I couldn't put down. Uh, I'm asking her to bring the book so people know about them. And uh, it's about her life and very personal stories. And, uh, boy, does, does, she, does she tell a story and uh, go for the truth, the whole truth, as it is. And she's, she's a dynamic and wonderful person. So she's our featured guest speaker for this coming Sunday, January 5th, at 2 o'clock at the West Village. Uh, and all the details are on the website. That is awesome. Uh, thank you, Nick, again, for everything that you do. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you on the morrow when two of your shows are running. And synchronistically, the, the one that you couldn't make tomorrow, the topic was inviting extraterrestrials <laughs> into your endeavors. So uh, we're on the yeah. same wavelength anyway. Great Thank you so very much. Yes, have an awesome yep. evening, and uh, I will Happy New Year, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Happy New Year. Much love to everyone out there. Much love for the new year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, and thanks to everybody at home who's joined us. Uh, this is all of us wishing all of you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. May 2020 bring awesome things into your life and into all of our lives. For listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>